Awe is the remedy that cures the tyranny of self. A psychologist in a study at the University of Pennsylvania has shown that awe, awe they define as the emotion of self-transcendent, a feeling of admiration and elevation in the face of something greater than self. That's a good definition of awe. We can get behind that one. That awe is what gives you the emotional shock out of your own selfishness and to realize that you are dependent on something bigger than yourself. That awe is that remedy that cures the tyranny of yourself. And this Dr. Robert Leahy said in this study, awe is the opposite of rumination. It clears away inner turmoil with a wave of outer immensity. Wonder pulls us together, a counterforce to all that seems to be tearing us apart. This is the lesson of Habakkuk 3. Ah, ah is the remedy. In our, in our seasons of insecurities, in our seasons of doubt, in the moments of our existential crisis, in moments of difficulty, in our looming circumstances, in crushing and defeating realities that we live in, in our grief, in death, in deep sorrow and pain, in judgment and discipline. In these moments, Habakkuk 3 tells us, look up. Look up. Stop looking around at the hopelessness in your moment and in your circumstances and look up. For me, and I don't know about for me, I spend too much time of my existence looking horizontally. I, I get out, I look around today, I process what exactly is in front of me. But for me to get a sense of awe in all the ordinary moments of the day is when I look up to the stars, right? Not in the city, because you look up in the star in Springfield and you don't see anything, right? I mean, maybe a plane going by. But when you get out into the woods, I mean, into the deep woods where all the light pollution is gone, and you can see the Milky Way, you can see planets and stars, and you look up and you realize, whoa, we're pretty small. We're pretty insignificant. And in the midst of it, I say, this is a mighty and awesome God that creates all of this and sustains all of this at every moment. Smaller than him. That helps me be in awe of our God. Looking up in awe, wonder of our God. In whatever season, in whatever circumstance, right, metaphorically look up and realize that he is greater than all of this. That he holds it all in his hand. Awe is the remedy that cures the tyranny of our pride. When God becomes the all-consuming reality, our problems are put in proper perspective. When we become, or, or our circumstances become, the all-consuming reality, our problems are overwhelming. In Hebrews 12, 2 says, we read it last week, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And in the context of this looking to Jesus, the idea of how we endure, how do we live out faithfulness in all of our circumstances, our life, and we do that by looking to the one who did it first. Look at the one who's gone before us. Look at the one who is with us, who's bringing us along. We look to Jesus. Our remedy is looking to Jesus, God Almighty. And how do we do that? We first begin to be in awe of God with adoration. Just stopping and looking up and being in awe of God in our adoration. And the second thing is we focus on awe on God. We focus, we, we locate him in the kingdom of God and realize the kingdom of God is present right now. So focusing on what is true in this moment. And the kingdom of God is true right now. And the third part of that is we confess our fears. We confess our fears to God in awe. And the fourth is we rejoice in the Lord with awe. In all of our circumstances, we rejoice in the Lord with awe. And let's look to, let's, by looking to Jesus, let's look to Jesus in awe in Habakkuk 3 and see where it begins. We begin, we begin to, to be in awe with God with adoration. Right? We look up to God. We change our perspective. Habakkuk 3, 1 through 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. And let's just rehash the book of Habakkuk really quickly uh, from the beginning, right? We know at the very beginning, this is an oracle or a burden that Habakkuk sees. And what is the burden that he sees? He sees the people of God doing great evil, turning away from God and doing whatever they want. And it's this horrendous evil on Habakkuk says, this is horrendous, God. Will you not do something against your people? Will you not judge and discipline them? Will you not be, have justice and take care of them? And it says, I, I'm gonna wait for this answer. Why are, you, why are you silent, God? And then God answers Habakkuk. And God answers Habakkuk, you don't understand my ways. You don't understand my plan. You don't understand my will. But here's what I'm gonna do, Habakkuk. I'm going to bring a more corrupt and more evil people to punish my people, to judge my people, to enslave my people. And Habakkuk then responds, I do not like this plan. This is a bad plan. Why would you do this? When are you going to judge these more evil people? Why do you allow them to exist against your people? And then it's like, I'm going to wait in silence. I'm going to wait for you to respond. Let's see what you have to say, God. And then God responds in chapter 2 with a long drawn out, like, here is how I'm going to punish the Babylonians. Here am I how I'm going to enact justice. Write this down, Habakkuk. I want you and everyone else to know this. And go tell everyone this vision. Go tell everyone I'm going to do. And he gives you five woes to the Chaldeans, to the Babylonians, which are good woes to us as too, good warnings for us. And then in the midst of the end of that, right, it's all of creation is silence, and Habakkuk is silenced by God's just and awesome response 
And then we come to chapter 3 and we have Habakkuk's response to God's response. And we know it's a song. It's a, it's a song. And I don't think it's a, it's a really upbeat song, but it's a song. And Habakkuk 3 is his amen to God's proclamation. Now we say amen all the time, right, in prayers, right? We always say amen, and maybe we just think that's how you're supposed to close prayers, but there's actually a meaning behind that word, and it's really kind of a dense kind of word to it. And so when I say Habakkuk 3 is his amen, and so amen, there's lots of ways that you can be translated. You could be, so it, this would be a way, like yes, Habakkuk is saying, so be what you just said, God. I want this to happen. It's also a statement of, of affirming truth. It can mean verily, or it could be truly. It's a statement when you say amen, like let this be true, or this is true. And so Habakkuk 3 is, is Habakkuk's amen to God's proclamation. This is true. Let this be true. Let this be done. And the last part is, yes, Lord, please do this. Please do this. Now imagine, that's an incredible place for Habakkuk to get to. Right, he, he starts off with like, I don't like this plan. And then God lays out this plan. Habakkuk is humbled. Okay, God, let this be your plan. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So this, this whole song, it says amen to this proclamation that God gives to these deeds and to these judgments that God declares in his amen, right, this is a song, and it, Habakkuk doesn't respond to God's hard words with hard words of judgment. He doesn't respond in fatalism. He doesn't respond with skepticism. He doesn't respond with cynicism. He responds with worship. A, a full-bodied worship. Not just like you kind of worship, but all aspects of his emotions kind of worship. A awe-filled expression of who God is and what he's going to do. Habakkuk hears God's response and Habakkuk responds with fear. Now, it's not this scared fear, although there is a sense to that, but it's a fear of reverence, of awesome Response, a awe filled, a awe struck of who God is and who his plan is and what he actually will do. There is a terribleness to this response. There is a fearfulness in the response like, wow, this is what God can do and is going to do. God's answer to Habakkuk reorients Habakkuk from navel gazing, horizontal looking, to God gazing, to looking up. I mean, God really puts down the hammer to Habakkuk and says, listen, this is what's going to happen to you. And then Habakkuk realized, oh, it's bigger than my circumstance. It's bigger than my thoughts. It's bigger than my suffering in this moment. And God, then he orients God, look up, Habakkuk. My ways are not your ways. And I've got a larger plan and a larger scale, and I can see things that you can't see and nothing's outside my grasp. It's a reorienting from self to God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher out of England, says this, our troubles can nearly all be traced 
to our persistence in looking at the immediate problems themselves instead of looking at them in the light of God. Now we say that, we read these things, and yet you and I know still we're going to stare at our problems and be overwhelmed with them instead of seeing them in the light of God. In Habakkuk 3, Habakkuk stands in humble contrition, humble awe. He's saying, your response, God, your work is awesome. He stands in adoration, a, a position of fear awe or awe fear, if I can make up a word. King Louis XIV, 17th century king of France, wanted to be known as the greatest king ever. I mean, he just wanted everyone to know that he was the greatest king ever to live in France and ever to live on the earth. And so he instructed that when he died, when he was going to have his funeral at the Cathedral of Notre Dame, right, that he wanted all the candles darkened, right? There was no electricity there. All the candles darkened in the whole cathedral except for the one candle that would be on his casket that would light, would show that he's brilliance and he was the greatest. And so the day of his funeral, the great preacher of Notre Dame, Massillon, walked up with that one candle and before he gave the sermon that day, he snuffed out the candle and said, only God is great. Only God is great. And he ended his sermon. When Habakkuk, what Habakkuk learns in this moment is that Uh, that all of scripture bellows out to all of scripture bellows out the incomparability of God. There's nothing that compares to God. I mean, who does? What king can compare to God? What president can compare to God? What emperor, what pope, what ruler, what pastor can compare to God? What set of circumstance in your life compares to God and his power? There is nothing and there is no one that compares. We look up to the stars in every moment in all our circumstances and realize that God is seated on the throne and that he rules. He's king all the time. There's never a moment when he's not in power. There's never a molecule which he's not in control of. We respond with awe, an awe-filled adoration. We focus, we focus that awe of God onto the kingdom of God and its reality in our presence. Habakkuk 3.2, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk reorients himself to God, to who he is. And now, he reorients himself in this verse to what God does. So he's got now a proper understanding of who God is, and now what God does. His kingdom, his, his rule, his kingdom of God. Think about what he says, in the midst of the years, this is quite a change to what Habakkuk is saying. In the midst of the years, he says, what you've just said, this prophecy which is to come, in the midst of these years of waiting, In the midst of these years, make this known, Lord. 
make it known. He doesn't say, have it happen now. He doesn't say, don't make this happen. He actually is to change heart. Lord, let your will happen in the midst of these years as we wait. Can you make it known? And we know this is actually why we have the book of Habakkuk. Because he makes it known. He's compelled. I need it because God told him, go run, run. Go tell people this. And so Habakkuk makes it known. What an interesting transformation for Habakkuk. To one who didn't like the prophecy to now he understands that this is God's kingdom and it's acting out right now. His judgment is acting out right now. Habakkuk has learned that in his waiting, that that's part of God's mercy. That in God's slowness for his justice, that that is part of God's mercy. Habakkuk is saying, amen, so be your way. Your rule, your way is the right way. Your kingdom is the right way. And I'll wait for it. The greatest cause in the world is God and his kingdom. You know that, right? right? The greatest cause in this world is God and his kingdom. For each and every one of us, right now, not, not one day to be, right now, that's the cause. There is... There is no other cause worth dying for. This is the cause that Jesus died for was God's will and God's way. The kingdom of God being ushered in. This is what he laid his life down. Not to establish, as his disciples wanted, a earthly empire, but the kingdom of God and its ways, which are not the ways of the world, which are not our ways but it's God's way. There is no candidate worth dying for. There is no political party worth dying for. There is no cause for us except the kingdom of God, period. That's who we are, no matter what. Everything else is secondary, thirdly, fourthly. It all doesn't matter compared to the cause and the way of the kingdom of God. Right? We look up to God Right? We, we, change our circ- we change our perspective in the circumstances away from ourselves by looking up to God and then we focus at it right here and right now on the kingdom of God and its ways, God's ways right now, right here. And that's what Habakkuk does. These aren't ways that Habakkuk really is excited about. This is, now I know God. Now I know your plan right here and right now. It's not a really fun plan, but I got it. Your way. Martin Luther, uh, in his great uh, A Mighty Fortress of God, gives the same kind of a thought to this. And I want you to join in with me singing this because I'm going to sing it terribly. Uh, so you need to join in with this. We all know this one, A Mighty Fortress of God. It's one of the verses here. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. It's it's the same thing that Habakkuk 3 is saying. Right? Everything else doesn't matter. I'll let all that go. 
all my possessions, all my family, all this life, I will give up. I'll let people harm me. It is okay as long as God's truth is still present, as long as it goes forth. And his kingdom, I know that is forever. Everything else is not. Everything else is not. That is what Habakkuk is learning in this moment. This self-centered generation, a moan about our own afflictions. Right? Our physical ailments, we, we moan about our political realities. Right? We moan against socialism, Marxism, communism, lawlessness, insensitivity to the poor and to the homeless. We moan about racism. And listen, those are all things to be worried about. Those are all things to speak into. Those are not to minimize any of those things because part of those things can be part of the kingdom of God them but the remedy the remedy to them is not a political reality the remedy to them is not a a idea here the remedy is God-centeredness because Habakkuk is told listen your political reality is going to change the kingdom of God isn't the kingdom of God isn't we need to remind ourselves in whatever threat that happens, whatever moment, whatever circumstance, whatever malady, whatever social injustice are out there which are important to speak into, that we need to remember that God is present, that he rules, that he reigns. Empires and nations, they rise and they fall. They come and they go. The kingdom reigns forever. There is no border and there is no wall everyone is invited in the remedy is God-centeredness Habakkuk doesn't ask God in the midst of this he doesn't ask God in, in two, verse 2 he doesn't ask God God remember your people in your judgment remember them remember them because of their repentance and, how, and some work or some merit in them what does he just say? It says like, let this happen. Let this happen. And in the midst of this, in the midst of your judgment, in the midst of your wrath, let your mercy reign. Because, and what Habakkuk, I think, doesn't fully understand is those two are the same thing. That's what we learn at the cross. is that God's judgment and his mercy are combined and they're never in conflict. What we, what we learn at the cross is that Christ, what, what we cannot do and what we cannot bear, Christ bears for us. He bears the wrath of God. Judgment is laid down. Final judgment is laid down at the cross. And in the midst of that, that is his great mercy for those that are united with Jesus, for those that shall express their faith in him and trust him. Their judgment is bare on Jesus. And those that aren't united, they will receive judgment. Just judgment, justice, and mercy are combined. This is a, this is a kingdom-oriented prayer that Habakkuk gives. You see, we begin our remedy to look to Jesus, right? To look up, to be in adoration, to look up to God, to change our perspective. And then we focus that awe, God. We focus it on the kingdom of God. And then the third part of that is that we confess, in the midst of that, we confess our fears. 
We confess our fears to God, and that is an awesome response. Habakkuk 3.16, he says, and this is a song. Remember, this is a song. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk is embracing this reality. Look at my circumstance right now and God's God's people's circumstances, they're terrible. They are terrible. They're rotten to my bones. It hurts. Habakkuk no longer has a theological problem though. He knows who God is. And he no longer has a philosophical problem. He knows how God works. Habakkuk now has a physical and a psychological problem. He has a reality that he has to bear. That he will be part of God's judgment against God's people. That he will have to endure this moment with God's people. And this is not an enjoyable near future. So he has fears, he has concerns, and he has worries. And here's the reality. All of us have fears, don't we? All of us have anxieties. All of us have, have worries. And what you've learned and what you'll learn and what I've learned as you, as you continue on this life is that you actually cannot control any of those things. You can't say, I'm just not going to worry. I'm just not going to have any anxiety. I'm just not going to be, be fearful of that anymore. I mean, it doesn't work. These things just ride, reside in you, and you're like, I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to worry, and yet you still are. And so it, it, it brings no comfort to people when you say, don't worry. Stop having anxiety. Don't fear. Don't fear anything but God. That is not great advice. It, that is not helpful advice. Because none of us want to, and all of us know. But we have the proper theology that we all know that we need to fear God alone. But we know our realities make us fearful. But here's what Habakkuk is teaching us. And what we've learned the last couple weeks is that uh, fear, doubt, it's not the opposite of faith. It's not the opposite. Pride is. Pride is the opposite. And so, if you, God says, bring those to me. Express those to me. That's a faithful action. Lord, I can't handle this. There's something in me that's overwhelming, and I am fearful, and I am scared, and I am anxious, and I am worried. God says, bring it to me. Have a real relationship with me. God can handle it. He knows it. He knows it. Often, he's the cause of your fearful ex- ex- circumstance. He's bringing it up you we bring them to God and we let God know our anger we let God know our fears we let God know our grief we voice them in worship that's an act of worship it's an act of awe I can't handle it I'm not sure how I can handle it God this is how I'm feeling because it's saying God I know you can handle me in this moment I know you can handle me and my anger and me and my doubt and me and my fear. We begin uh, to look up to God to change our perspective 
in our circumstances and be in awe. Give him our adoration. And then we focus on that and the reality of how he works right here and right now reigns the kingdom of God, his will. And then we, we confess our fears in this moment in an awful response. We confess all our doubts, all our anxieties, all our troubles in those moments. And the last part, we rejoice in those moments. We respond to God in all our circumstances with joy in our awe. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Hear what he says. Once again, a song. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And then we know right at the end that we know it's a song again to the choir master with string instruments. This is a powerful confession by Habakkuk. He says, look it, I've lost all access to food. There is no job anymore for me. The economy has failed. There's nothing out there. I've lost everything, Lord. My people have lost everything. Your people have lost everything. And then he says the most remarkable thing, yet I will rejoice. I mean, those two sentences don't go together. <laughs> but yet they do. It, it, it's, this, it's the same kind of response that Job gives. Right in the midst of it where God, God allows all of all Job's possessions to be taken away, all his family to be taken away, then his health to be taken away. And Job, helpless, gives his complaints and his angers all to God. And though he says, though he slay me, though he slay me, worship him. Yet I will rejoice. This is a joy that, this is a joy that says, I'm not, this is the joy that says, I'm not happy about this moment, but I can be joyful in our relationship. I can be joyful in the knowledge that I know that you are in charge, that your kingdom reigns. It's the joy of actually knowing God. Not just knowing things about him, it's the joy of being known by God. It's about being in proper relationship. Joy, uh, I think a, joy, a good definition of joy would be is seeing and being with God in the midst of darkness. That's, that's when you really get to understand what joy is. You see, when you're on the mountaintop, right, things seem great, and they're like, yeah, that's joy. That's what I experienced. Like, that is a certain type of joy, but that's not the depth and beauty of joy. The depth and beauty of joy in any relationship is to know that you are loved in the midst of your depravity. In the midst of the worst you can do, that you are loved and that you are cared for. In the midst of our darkness, of our terrible circumstances, that is real joy. Not, not, not happiness, not gladness, not excitement, like this is great. 
but joy to know that you are known and that you are loved despite who you are. Psalm 8410, the psalmist gives a, a great understanding of this. For a day in your courts, Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Right? I, I, I would rather be judged one day, just spend one moment, be judged by God and then forever cast into hell. Spend a thousand years elsewhere. Just that one moment of, with God would be awesome and give me joy. I mean, the reality is like, it, it does more than that, right? God takes away that, our judgment on that. But that's the place to get, like that moment, a few seconds to be with the eternal God is enough. Is enough. And of course, it's, we're more than doormen, right? We're, we're, more, we're not servants. We're his children in which he's prepared a room for us in his great house. We belong to him. Joy is about being content. Being content despite your circumstances. It's, it's, a, it's a humility in that joy, right? We, we know in that Philippians 4, 11 through 14, Paul says it this way, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Like, we're just on, like, you know the secret to this? <laughs> What's the secret, Paul? What's the secret? He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret is, is that Paul has learned to be content, and we know Paul's life. We know that he was shipwrecked, that he was imprisoned, that he was stones were thrown at, and people tried to kill him. He said, whatever my circumstance, I can be content in all circumstances because it's God who strengthens me. Because it's God who loves me. Because it's God who holds me in his hand. Because God has a plan. Doubt, fear, anger are all faithful actions if they're directed to and they're directed with God. It, doubt and fear and, and, and anxiousness are not faithful actions if you're telling people, do you know what God did to me? Like you're telling a friend, do you know what this guy's doing? That's not a faithful action, right? That's just a complaint. That's just bringing your complaint to someone else. I'm angry with God. No, don't. No, that's great. Tell God. Don't tell me. I'm, yeah, I actually do want you to tell me too, right? That, that's, that's part of being in the community. But don't just tell, tell God. Be in relationship with God. Habakkuk cements his amen to God's speech with a decision to be joyful. I know you're a good God. And I know you love me. It's a decision to be awe-filled in all circumstances. It's a decision to say, this is true, God. In the midst of all this, you're my joy. You're my strength, and you're my salvation. Amen. So be it, Lord. Make it so. Get out of your sin-polluted ways. Get out of a world that is as polluted by all your sin and by your own ego, ego and look 
up to God. Change your perspective. Look up to God in awe. Live in that awe, which is the remedy of your self-importance. Let us begin in an awe-filled worship by looking up to God in adoration. Let us focus in on God. Let us focus in awe-filled worship and realizing that the kingdom of God is at hand and God is at work and he reigns. He reigns. Let us confess our fears being in real relationship with God to God. Let us confess them in our worship and let us celebrate Let us live in that joy that we are in a real relationship. That God loves us despite who we are. That God has taken care of the penalty. That God has laid down his life. That his his judgment and his wrath and his mercy are combined at the cross. In our Advent season, in our season of waiting, waiting for God to make all things right, waiting for God uh, to bring justice into this world, waiting for God to wipe away all of our tears, waiting for God when, when there will be no more death, then will there be no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. Let it be so. In this Advent season, we wait for God and we wait for our salvation, our King, and His kingdom come. We wait for it to be realized. In this season, let us look to Jesus with awe-filled eyes, the remedy of our pride. Live in awe. Let us pray. Dear gracious Father, I am humbled by this, by this word, by this oracle, by this burden that you gave Habakkuk. I'm thankful that you have preserved it to share it with us to teach us, to draw us into a real relationship with you, an honest relationship with you that help us to know that you can handle everything we bring, every emotion, every circumstances. Lord, let us not be scared to bring them to you. Let us us be fearful in, in, in knowing who you are but let us be awe-filled, awe-filled in that chair and know that you love us. That you love us. And all of this is for our good. And that only, only you are great. Thank you for that news. Thank you for that truth. Let our lives be our amen to your grace. We pray this. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.